everybody, welcome to Cinema Snorkel, the podcast where we look below the surface of movies mm. to find their inner meanings so and their truths that they have to share with us. Casey, welcome. Good Thank morning. You. Top of the morning to you. Top of it. And in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Which is a perfect quote because the movie we're talking about today is not The Truman Show, but it is Free Guy. Yeah, Free Guy. Let's go. Woo-hoo, which is basically The Truman Show plus... Ready Player One. Exactly. Yes. Wait, did you write that? Because the- Well, I was going to say Wreck-It Ralph. Oh, uh, that's Ready good. Player One. Yeah, they're both. Ready Player One meets The Truman Show meets Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah. Hey, bud, you ever think that there's got to be more? More than what? The stuff we do day after day. Being shot at? Run over? Taken hostage? Everybody down on the ground! Today's going to be different. Yes. Oh my gosh. I am so excited for this conversation. I ugh, can't wait to pick your brain about this movie. Um, w- w- let's begin. What What did you like? Well, Carlin, let me just reverse, reverse. What did you like about the, what did you like about Free Guy? Well, okay. I, I mean, I think we've said this before. We haven't, we'll say it in future episodes. I'm not a big um, Ryan Reynolds fan. Very snarky, very sarcastic. Yeah, it's not my favorite, but... It's like biting, kind of biting humor, even when he's being like the most innocent blue shirt guy. It's you know. so tongue-in-cheek. But they actually do strike something pretty fresh and wholesome in this movie, and I think it has a lot to do with the chemistry between Keys and Millie. I just think they're so adorable together. They have a great screen chemistry, and their friendship is so cute, and then I love that they bring it back to the romance. Like, it's very clever, very neat, the way they tie up that little plot line. I'm not a gamer by any stretch of the imagination, so I think I missed a lot of what people will love about this movie, but that's my first take. What do you think? Okay, we said we were never going to do this, but can you just give us a quick plot summary? Dr- give us give us like a t- oh, less than one minute plot summary. Go. Oh, yeah. Okay, Guy is a NPC, non-player character, in a open concept game, which means it's a game where users go in and do whatever they want. They get points, often by doing things like murdering. Murdering, shooting, shooting, robbing banks, doing bad things. Um, And Guy realizes that he's a background character and then he meets the love of his life, Millie, and it short circuits him and he falls in love with her. He's he's meant to be a character that's uh, always looking for love and when he sees the girl that he's supposed to be in love with, it like triggers his self-awareness and because he feels alive, he becomes alive. And then you find out there's this whole lawsuit against the big baddie, Antoine, Antoine who stole the code for this original game that was meant to be just an open concept, self-evolving world filled with artificial intelligences but he stole that code to develop a really trashy uh, money mongering uh, is that a word money mongering it is now <laughs> a money no, that's a word. mongering violence uh, inducing violence inducing <laughs> bad game and it's glitchy and ugly and bad but Millie and Keys once they realize that their code has actually produced the first artificial intelligence they have to fight to save Guy and his friends and then Love they do it. and it's Ready Player One because they're uniting against the big bad corporate video game boss who controls the world right, they live in, right. which is full of such free wonderful creative elements but yeah, it's controlled by right. waterfalls coming from the sky and unicorns totally and stuff. but it's controlled by big bad corporate Antoine and it's the Truman Show because Guy realizes he's a character in a video game, and that's his big character arc. Yeah. I love Antoine's entire character. I love Taika Waititi. I, uh, every line he said, like even his outfit, I was like, this is hilarious. He's well, that like, scene, he like sits crisscross on the floor, and then he tries to like jump himself back up when he can't do it. <laughs> yeah, or my favorite line is like when Keys goes, hey man, like... 
you went on live TV. You said all that stuff about Free City 1 being compatible with Free City 2. And Antoine's like, yeah, well, when I said that, I was lying. <laughs> and he does the, like, Pinocchio. Just Taika Waititi yeah. can nail those lines in a way that it's, uh, I love it. It's a delight to watch. Albuquerque Boiled Turkey Albuquerque also boiled he does turkey. that whole thing. <laughs> like, if I know that you, like... Kentucky if I know that <laughs> Kentucky Fried Chicken, I'm not going to make Albuquerque Boiled Turkey. I'm going to make Kentucky Fried so Chicken funny. too. I like how they're poking fun at video game culture while still, I think, respecting like the heights to which video games can rise. Sometimes video games are like an, a form of art. Yeah. Sometimes they're, they're just full of trolls and terrible, and I like that they're poking fun at that. Channing Tatum's character, right. you know, mm-hmm. and the nerd who is like controlling him. Oh, yeah, and then the dude, the half-baked character. The riff. It was just a funny movie. Yeah, yeah. It was very self-aware in a, in a good way, and yeah, yep, great movie. I think, Carlin, that plays into some of the themes that I noticed. Ooh, are we jumping to themes? I think so. So I noticed three main themes that I just want to submit for yes. your approval. If you, if you think these are the main themes, I want to hear. But if you notice other themes... I want you to push back and we'll we'll talk about those. Okay, open for submission. Go ahead. Here's what I boiled it down to. First, why are we our worst selves online? Mm, Yep. Mm -hmm. Millie has that whole thing where she's like, sometimes it seems like everyone you meet on here is a sociopathic (laughs) man child. It's like, yeah. (laughs) It's like, yes, wait, yeah, but why is that though? That's so interesting. I think the film is really grappling with why is everyone so terrible yep. in Free City? You give them a free city where they can do anything and they shoot and rob yep. and take people's car. Yeah. So why are we our worst selves online? Second, staying in your comfort zone versus breaking out. Um, that's like Guy's whole character arc. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Trying to get his buddy cop to join him. And he's like, at the end, he goes, I- I've been afraid my whole life. But for this one day, I'm mm-hmm. not afraid anymore. Totally. Oh. Yeah. And then the third thing I think they're asking is, what does it mean to be alive? Yeah. What does it mean to be alive? And I think they mean that in a specific sense. Like, what is the core essence of a living being? Right. That might seem like a heavy-handed theme for Free Guy, but I do think it's totally the one they're addressing. They're raising it in their sort of Free Guy way. And then on a broader sense, like, what does it mean to be, like, alive? Like, in a poetic sense. And I think that's what Millie and Keys are asking as they grapple with their lawsuit against the big corporation. Oh, yeah. Right, because Keys is doing this job that's just a kick in the face. Like, he's working for the guy who stole his code. He's not getting to do anything creative. He's just doing complaint management, essentially. And why is he... Well, that's one question I wanted to ask is, why does he still work at the company? Does he believe in the concept? Let's just dive into that third question. What does it mean to be alive? Starting with that, because I noticed that too. Here's the only thing I have to add. I feel like Keys is um, like a bigger version of Guy. Ooh, yeah. Like Guy lives a happy routine life Mm -hmm. and just does everything he's told. (laughs) Uh, Like when the bank's getting robbed, it's like, I'm the bank robber. You're the guy who lays down and takes it. Yeah, it's a horrible (laughs) life. Oh my gosh. But Keys is living that existence too because he's afraid of going out of his comfort Mm. zone. And so, Carlin, honestly, I don't know if they spent enough time really to unpack all of Keyes' motivation in that, but I feel like what they're getting at is it's easier to just work for the man. Right. Especially if you Mm -hmm. had a dream and it got crushed and you feel like the girl you like treats you like just a friend. And it's actually safer to be like a low-level like cop patroller in the video game and handle complaints it's easier, it's more fun, and it's less risky than to challenge Antoine head on, go after the girl of his dreams, 
you know, like live in the real world. So it really is like he's staying in his comfort zone. I guess that plays into the second theme of staying in your comfort zone versus breaking out. Right, right. And he does. He gives her that video where he talks about his feelings for her, right? That's kind of his taking charge of his life and saying, I'm not going to be a background character. I'm going to just lean into my life and, and do the things that I believe in. Yeah. Eventually, he finds that spark of courage that drives him to break out of his comfort zone, just like Guy does. Yeah, So they're yeah, like parallel right. characters, which is fun. They're setting that up, I think, from the beginning. Yeah, um, totally. And I love how they resolve it by saying that essentially Guy was created by Keys as a love letter to Millie. So they actually are, in some ways, parallel characters. That's great. So uh-huh. on that theme of staying in your comfort zone versus breaking out, I also think they show us that with Buddy. I was reminded of Plato's Cave a little bit. That's the classic. Yeah. If you want to sound smart, just bring up Plato's Cave. The Plato, huh? Yeah. You don't have to understand it. You just have to reference it. Yeah. So you haven't read it? That's what I'm to understand from Oh no! Oh, no. I mean, I have. <laughs> I, I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, but in essence, Plato tells an, an allegory of the cave where prisoners are chained with a fire to their Uh back and all they can see is the wall of a cave where their own shadows are in front of them. Right, right. And among many different allegorical applications of this, Plato asks, what would happen if someone escaped the cave and could see the real world for a second and then went back to try to free their other prisoners or describe the real world to them? They just would be incapable of understanding it. So in that sense, (laughs) that might be heavy-handed, but like Buddy has no idea what the real world can be, you know, and Guy's trying to convince him a little bit. Well, I want to say like the Truman Show, but actually not because everyone in the Truman Show is in on it. Yeah, right. They're all like paid actors. Okay, so when Buddy decides to live in the real world, sometimes Free Guy has to just slap his glasses on somebody and then their eyes are open. Like that's what happens to Dude. But for Buddy, his moment when he decides like, oh, actually it is better to be free and to break out of my rope path is when is that moment? He realizes that guy is in trouble and he comes to help him yeah. on the bridge. He shoots the guy. He like shows up, yeah, to be there for his friend. And he kind of has that moment. They're sitting in there, if they're sitting in his house and Free Guy says, what would you say if somebody told you, you, you know, you're not real? And he's like, well, I'd say, uh, so what? This yeah. this is real. Like I'm, I'm here yeah. trying to help my buddy out. And what's more real so than, good. you know, trying to help your friend through a, a tough time? And he does. Is that a commentary totally. on like what it actually means to be alive as we transition to our next question? Or is that written into his character in the same way that Free Guy is written into his character to be lovelorn and to get the girl that mm. he's never supposed to get is the thing that triggers his feeling of alive. For Buddy, being the Buddy cop and, and being there to help people, he never is there to help people, but he like lays down during the bank robbery. But his moment of realization that he actually wants to be alive is when he has the opportunity to help his friend. Oh, snap. I never realized that. Like maybe Buddy's programming is actually to be a cop who never is able to do his job and he feels useless deep down. Interesting. But he's actually a really good friend and he's sitting there with Guy in their like overly wholesome (laughs) dialogue. (laughs) I love that. That's a perfect transition to the third question, which is tied up with that like comfort zone Mm -hmm. question. And the question is, what does it mean to be alive? But I like what you asked, Carlin, because you're like, how do they deal with their programming towards a certain end? Like these are computer programs versus making real choices in the real world. Yeah, right. That have meaning. When he has his 
crisis and he's going around being mean to people, uh, guy, nothing matters. If you're not real, then nothing you do matters. What I love about this movie is it seems really simplistic on the surface, but as I've thought about Mm -hmm. it, I'm realizing all three of these themes are intertwined. Yeah. So when Guy realizes that nothing matters, he actually goes back to that other question we asked. Why are we our worst selves online? Yeah, I know. He's so mean to like the cat lady, you know, and he just is like yelling at everyone. (laughs) He's just like, have have you tried shutting the door? (laughs) It's not like they're making a little tower and picking the lock. (laughs) So funny. But that third question is helping them answer that other question, why are we our worst selves online? It's all intertwined. Why does it matter if what we do is fake? In a fake world, it doesn't matter if you go and like slam your car and and are mean to people and dance over their dead bodies because it's just a game. Totally. So the tension that they're setting up is, listen, you're an NPC. You're just like a thing. You're a program. You have no real choices. But then they introduce this world where all of a sudden Guy sort of wakes up and he realizes that he, first of all, feels real love that's never been in his programming up to that point. Every single day he's gone along uh, without noticing that there's real love to be found. But then he sees her and he feels that real love. But then secondly, he realizes that he has real choices to make and that his decisions actually have a real impact in the world. I think that's where they're saying this is what it means to be alive. It's to feel real love for someone and it's to make choices and act on that feeling because your choices actually do matter. And so they're subverting a couple of things. First of all, they're subverting the idea of the comfort zone. Because for a guy to really make these choices, he has to act outside of his comfort zone. And similarly for keys, it's like they need to step into everything that they're meant to be by being alive. But they're also subverting the idea of people being like just trolls online. Because people are trolls because they think life is a game. And it is a, it is a game to them. But for a guy, it's real. And so he acts in the game like his decisions matter, like his choices matter. And I think this is one for our big third question about what does a Christian worldview have to say? But they're dealing with an age-old theme there, which is, are we programmed? Are we predestined? Or is there a sense in which we are free agents? Like our actions have moral consequences and we're actually able to choose things. Are they cross-applying this to the real world? Because this is a world and a game, but it's it's real in that we games exist like this. And are they are they trying to say Think twice about how you behave in a game because your actions do, maybe not your violence, but your words and the posture that you take on in your online presence does affect other people on an emotional level and like cyberbullying, like there is real world consequence to game behavior. And you know what else? Mm. To quote your good friend Lou Phillips in his podcast, mm. they were talking about um, using pornography and how people often say, oh, it just, it doesn't hurt anybody. And he said... Well, I would argue that you're somebody, and if it hurts Man. you, then maybe you shouldn't be doing All it. All right, Lou. I was like, that's that's brilliant. And the same thing for, for video game violence. Like, even if you're not actually doing the things that you're doing, what if you're harming your own morality, your own conscience, and your own brain, your own personality by, by perpetrating and sinking into and relishing and, and reliving, even in fantasy, your violent, like, urges? Yes. Yeah. I think that's such a good insight, Carlin. And- you know, in Free Guy, they're not moralizing about video games per se. Yeah, right. But I do think they're evoking that exact question. Yeah. Like, being an right. internet troll is really bad for 
the people who do it. And yeah, you see right. that actually, I think the most uh, in Channing Tatum's like alter ego, the guy who's playing as Channing Tatum, they play it up for laughs, but it is like, oh, <laughs> like we all know, like that kind of rings a bell. Like our worst version of ourselves is not actually doing anything in the real world, but being just an absolute troll online. And, and this movie actually does make us go, don't be like that guy. Be like Keys, who uh, acts right. Be like Millie, you know, who cares about something. And video games aren't just like a mindless, empty distraction for them. They're a form of art. They're actually creating things. But the temptation of video games is that it is like the ultimate definition of comfort zone for many of us. And I put myself totally in that camp. Video games have a tendency to draw us into these scripts that are very comforting. And because there's no consequences, we just want to live our lives in this game. But that actually takes something away from us as we're living our real lives. One thing that I really appreciated about this movie is that it was a very pro Mm -hmm. being in person message at the end. Um, So like Millie's like, I'm going to go back into the game. She sees that final video of keys that's embedded in guys programming and realizes yeah, yeah. There's a real person who loves me. Right. I need to get out there and be with him. And then she throws her headset and she runs across the street. And Classic. there he is. And they meet in the middle of the street. Oh, so romantic. See, Ryan Reynolds movies want to pretend like they're cynical, but they're <laughs> actually just as like pure and wholesome. They want to be just as pure and wholesome as they are like making, making fun, fun of, of a little yeah, bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's like the secret sauce that they blend in. It's the Ryan Reynolds mm-hmm. brand. It's a brand, yo. Yeah, I also think... Antoine is the worst version of each of those questions because Antoine is actually locked into a script and it's the we just need to make money script Uh that we see sometimes in the real world by just like releasing the same game again and again. And he has a line where he's like, if I had released your dumb game, it would have bombed. I looked at the tracking. I looked at the numbers, the focus groups. And right there, he's like, "Okay, that's Antoine's like script. He's like kind of a turd. And he follows his rote thing, uh, doesn't want to leave the comfort zone, and he is like the ultimate real-world troll that the game mirrors. Right. But um, here's my question. So clearly what they're saying is greed, money, numbers, bad. What's good is freedom, creativity, open world yes. concept. And they have this beautiful world where, where the NPCs are able to develop their own lives. But my question is, what keeps life itself from just becoming another free world? Like, what if these AIs start to develop the same troll-like tendencies? It, we're not meant to assume that's going to happen, but why not? Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know if the film really gives us a reason for that, other than that they're programmed NPCs by Keys and Millie, who probably wouldn't put deviant, terrible characteristics in them. Right, right. They put flaws in there that keep the programs wanting to develop and satisfy needs. Like, there's movement, there's current circulating, because they're always looking for something or hunting for something. But you know what else they're saying? Free World gives everybody a platform to be their worst selves. But it also they have a moment where they kind of reawaken and you get a montage of all the YouTubers going, man, I've never thought about an NPC this way. Like maybe we shouldn't be so focused on just killing people. Like I've never thought about it before. Yeah. And they have the potential in them maybe to, to be good. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like for me, if there was one piece of this movie that felt a little less than convincing and I hate to say it cause I agree with the message, but it was that all these YouTubers are just like, wow, change of heart. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, all of a sudden. Yeah, right. That was one thing. And then the other thing is that millions of people would tune in maybe just to watch a fishbowl of NPCs. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, be nice to each other. You know, like, yeah, there's a dinosaur walking around, but there's something in us that craves a little more excitement. I want to say that excitement here does not necessarily mean the same thing as evil or carnage, but we want adventure and we want purpose. And so the reason why it felt unrealistic, like I would never just tune into a fishbowl game to watch non-playable characters interact with each other, is that it's only interesting if they're making meaningful choices. And so I guess given the premises of the movie, it would be interesting to watch. Like if people are making choices, then it becomes television, like actually like an entertaining show. But the reason that hit me as like, I wouldn't tune in to watch life itself is because there's a barrier in my mind between what we actually can create when it comes to artificial intelligence. Right. Like, like a Tamagotchi. And it's fun to the extent that you're able to make believe that it's real. But if there's actually no risk, no conflict, nothing unexpected, truly unwritten, then it's not interesting. Well, I feel like in a Tamagotchi, like you're actually playing the game. So you're the element of risk and choices and decisions. Oh, that's true. It's been a while since I've played with my Tamagotchi. You could let your Tamagotchi die, you know, <laughs> because you forgot it in your backpack after a trip and your Tamagotchi died. And Aww. that's a huge And it loss. took you three weeks to grow that thing. That's <laughs> so true. <laughs> Sorry to relive childhood trauma there for anyone yeah. who let their Tamagotchi die. Go check on your Tamagotchi people. Yeah. Be a, good, be a good caretaker. Yeah, it's alive. It's an NPC that's alive. You need to take care of it. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's the most interesting question they're raising is that interplay between like real living things and uh-huh. programs or algorithms And in the movie, they actually, and this is what we do in movies, you're allowed to like not operate according to the real world. There's a moment of magic where love sort of uh, makes Guy a real actual character. He's a real boy. But ultimately they resolve it by saying it's not quite the same because he is a program, but his programming means something. And I think that was really important. Just because he was programmed to look for the love of his life, Millie, does not make it less powerful when he does, given that there's a real guy inside the shell. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's His meaning comes from the fact that Keys is a yes. real guy. That yes, it in. Yeah. in that sense. Yeah, totally. But even, even for Guy, even in the perspective of Guy, he feels alive. He feels like like there's like the singularity has occurred within Guy. Like, and, and that's really believable for us, the audience. Like we believe he's alive too. And it's because uh, we see him making decisions. And the key mystery of life that this movie is actually trying to tackle head on is we are all a mix of programming and specs and hardware and the decisions we make. And that's what makes life so interesting and powerful. We have these tendencies that we're driven towards. We have these longings that are unfulfilled. We sense that there's purpose and direction in our lives actually matter, right? The NPCs don't think they're NPCs. They think their lives matter. And at the same time, we're wrestling with these choices we make in life that impact people for real. And we sense that... (laughs) There's confusion and haziness around the purpose of life. Like sometimes it's easy to feel like life doesn't matter Hmm. despite our like intense hardwiring to believe that it does. 
And those are the themes Free Guy is raising. Full credit to you, Carlin. You wanted to do one on Free Guy, and at first I was like, uh, I don't know. But I just, I think it goes to show, first of all, listen to Carlin. <laughs> That's right. That's what I almost am saying, but nobody listens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, whatever. Uh, but uh, the second thing, the most important thing uh-huh. is, um, <laughs> is actually that we can't ask meaningful questions about even like fun, sur- surfacey movies. And that doesn't pull away from the fun. What makes a good movie a good movie is that it is actually asking interesting questions beneath the surface. And I think audiences can sense that. You can feel it when it's there and when it's not there. That's why we have these conversations. Yes. That's why I love our second question, Carlin, which is what are the filmmakers trying to say? If you just let that question breathe a little bit, and we're getting better at this. I, we don't do it perfectly, but it's fun to just even do it because I, I think I've, in my life, grown up usually not asking that question. But if you just ask, like, what are they trying to say? Like, what are the questions they're asking? Even Free Guy, I don't think we're warping it or twisting it to produce a meaning. I think the most compelling stories deal with the biggest questions we ask as human beings. You're right. You're right. Um, okay, let's transition to our third question. And I kind of want to kick it off by asking this. Uh, there's another theme in the movie that is kind of like, are you a background character? And nobody wants that. But I think a lot of people actually feel that way. Like they feel cast aside. They feel ignored. They feel trampled upon. And I think everyone wants to think of themselves as main. They're a main character. Um, and they are in their own movie that's playing in their head. Um, but what do you think a Christian worldview has to say about that? Oh, that's so good, Carlin. <laughs> you know... I think if we realized, like, they have this conversation jokingly, like, guy goes, you've met God? And she's like, yeah, his name is Antoine. (laughs) (laughs) He's a jerk. And he's a jerk. He's a total jerk. Uh, They don't say jerk, but whatever. But we say jerk. (laughs) That's like, we do say jerk. (laughs) Um, That's so destabilizing for guy. They play it off for laughs. But that joke aside, listen, we're just going right for it because that matters. That question actually matters. Who is God? Yes. Who made this game? Who made this game? If Antoine really did make all of Free City, then yeah, the NPCs are just cannon fodder. Uh-huh. They do not matter. They do not have souls. Right. They, they're not real. They're not right. real. Because they have self-awareness and they have this lingering feeling that there's more to life than what they are living. There's more to their reality than what they've had every day and every day. That points to the fact that Antoine is not their creator or designer. It's actually someone much more exciting and much more creative and and life-giving and fun-filled. And that's Millie and Keys. They're delightful. Yeah, way more humane. Much more hopeful, much more meaningful than Free City. Yes, totally. And it's mm-hmm. that realization, really, they have this sense that they're meant for more than just being NPCs. But yeah, what yeah. drives it home is actually realizing that they were created to be more than just NPCs. <laughs> There's truth behind it. It's not just like, it. well, sure, we're NPCs, but we're just going to act like we're not. That's like one version of an answer when you don't know a better answer. But when they investigate, when when actually, okay, gosh, this is not to put too fine a point on it, but when one of the creators enters the game. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it's an allegory. It's an allegory. It's not. It's not. But it is powerful, isn't it? It yeah. speaks to something. Okay. If you're not a Christian, just go with this on this. Yeah, go with us on this. Just enter into the mindset of what it's like to be a Christian and to actually believe that your world is created by a benevolent, supreme personality. Yeah. Millie actually says yeah. Antoine is their creator, but she's wrong. She actually created this game. 
And when they meet her, they realize their purpose. They actually realize that they're meant to live and actually they're designed to make these meaningful choices that can bring well-being and goodness to the hurt that they see around them. And it infuses Guy's life with meaning. And through him, it infuses all the NPCs' lives with real meaning. But it's anchored in who made them. Yeah, yep. It brings it right back to me to Jesus' words, the Sermon on the Mount. What you do in your heart matters and how you treat people, how you look at them and dignify them has eternal significance. He actually magnifies the importance of reality and the importance of how we treat people and human dignity. And the least of us matters just as much as the most of us. And Jesus does this like all the time in his ministry. He's always saying to the children, to the prostitutes, to the outcasts and the lepers, he's inviting them in and dignifying them and giving them the same kind of love and attention in the forefront of his brain that he would give to the most successful religious leaders of the time. Uh, And why? Because the people around us are not NPCs. Yeah. They are real. They're made in the image of God. And just like uh, Keys or Millie would love to sit down and hang out with Guy, knowing that there's a spark of him that's actually real in the world that they've built, like somehow there's a singularity, he's alive. Like Just like they would want to spend the time with him, it's like God actually does care about every single one of us. Even the ones that we go, you're a background character, you know? Let me just add this too, and this is like a slightly new thread, but I think it matters. There's the tension in our world between inbuilt design properties, like what are we made to do? It's X, Y, or Z, versus like radical freedom to say, shirk our design, uh, change the hardware, you know? Like you can be whatever you want to be in this world. And we believe that on a huge range of issues, like especially as Americans, our whole like national ethos right now is like, just break the rules. Like there's no tradition. Tradition's stupid. Yeah, right. (laughs) Tradition's enslaving you actually, and you need to break free and be yourself. Yes. And look, that's a real conundrum because there are other societies where tradition is enslaving people or their their script Mm -hmm. is enslaving them. But we're also seeing, I would say in this country, from corporate executives who snort cocaine to get through a day Hmm. all the way to like issues of sexuality and gender identity. What do we do if we feel like we're in the wrong body? What do we do with all these hot button issues? Our whole society is grappling with that question because the tension is real. And I think what people misunderstand about Christianity is that it's a moral question first and foremost, like get your life right, do the right thing first and foremost. I think Christianity actually Mm -hmm. tells us a deeper story. It tells us who we are first. Hmm. And morality flows out of that naturally. So when you come face to face with God and you say, you know what, like you actually did program me a certain way. And, And that has been touched by evil in all of our lives. But when you see the good thing that he actually made you to be, Something like gender, I think, is a good example or, gosh, that's such a loaded term. But I just mean like that we're made male and female. That's part of the design specs. Okay, so at Taylor University where I I went to college, there was a professor who would love to bring up the fact that human eyes are not like horses' eyes, which are on the sides of their head so they can look around and see predators. Human beings, our eyes face forward. Yeah. Because our design specs are for face-to-face, interpersonal Mm -hmm. interaction. Facial recognition is hardwired into us. You can see a face in two dots and a curvy line. Totally. That's all it takes. Babies immediately come out of the womb looking for faces. 
they're hardwired in. There's, there's certain elements of us that are programmed a certain way. And this is, this is the critical part. That is not incompatible with our ability to make decisions. In fact, hmm. those two components are the point. They're the point of it. So God's given each of us things in our lives that we are like, we, we desire to do, we're driven to do. But how we steward those is the beauty and challenge of human life. We can bring honor to our creator with, with what we do, just like Guy does. Like he does the right thing. He does good. He's actually a credit to Millie and Keys uh, in a world of like chaos and terrible things. And it's partially because he was programmed to, but it's also because he takes what he's got and he chooses to. And I think the movie really does land on like harmonizing those ways in a way that I think the, the Christian story does where other philosophies and other cultures lose it in the weeds. It's, it's got to be both. We are programmed for certain things and we decide what we do with those things. Yeah. A lot of other religions, like if you just look at the outer shell, they actually have a very similar system of morality. Like don't steal, don't cheat, don't lie, don't kill. Um, and, and so people see that and go, oh yeah, Christianity is basically the same as every other religion. They land in the same moral territory. But I think you're totally right in that Christianity isn't telling you be good so that you can get into heaven or you can get into eternal life. The language, and I was just reading in Ephesians, the language used is cast off your old self and put on the new self. Hmm. Remember who you are. Remember who you were created to be, what's actually written into your heart, which is the nature of God, the imprint of God in you. And we all know the standard, but the way to get there, Christianity tells us is a radically different path than basically what any other path is going to tell you. Totally. And, you know, the most depressing thing to me about a worldview of materialism, which says that we're nothing but uh, the stuff we're made of, is that it makes all of us NPCs. It makes every person on earth a mindless drone of, but even less than that, because it's all accidental. One of the reasons I'm a Christian is I don't find that plausible. I actually don't think this could all occur just by accident. But that aside, let's say it did, you know, at that point, And honest atheists will grapple with this and and admit that there's no real basis for behaving well in a world where every character is truly, like we can pretend like they're not, but the truth of it is we're all just programmed by our DNA. But they're, they're actually breaking their own rule. We can't live that way. We can't exist that way. Yeah. I think that's one of the That's one of the kickers, Carlin, is we can't live that way. Even if you're a stone-cold materialist who believes right and wrong are social constructs designed for evolution, they have no real hold on what we should do. There is no should, really. There just is what is. Even that stone-cold atheist, if they see a child about to hit by a bus, I believe that most people will instinctively try to do the right thing. Because to me, that says that we are made by a being that that had more in mind for us. Honest atheists will have to admit, and I know this wouldn't really convince many of my friends who are atheists who I've talked to about this. This isn't going to like be the thing that convinces them, but I see that as actually evidence of their design, that they actually would rescue a child or they would stop, you know, a dog's biting a baby or something. They, they would, they would feel this drive to intervene and, and they wouldn't treat it like, yeah, that's like a, a suggestion. They would treat it as like, no, I ought to do something. They live moral lives as best as they can. And be ashamed if they don't. Yeah. Totally. And there's no way to write that shame off. And I think that that should be a clue that actually you're not an NPC and the people around you are real and they matter. And so 
that, Carlin, to sum up our second question, that's why we're our worst selves online, so to speak. It starts from an, a misunderstanding of who the people around us are. And in our worst selves, like what the Bible calls the sinful versions of ourselves, we want to treat people like they don't matter. Yeah. And actually, video games illustrate this because in a world where the people don't matter, what do we do? We are not wholesome and loving. We're actually violent and evil. And so your ethics matter in the real world. And video games are like a little kind of funny, but kind of like, uh uh-oh, like trolly microcosm of that of that system of ethics can i ask you a question do you think that it matters because it's like a little indicator of what's really in your heart or does it actually matter in what you do in a game when there really aren't personal consequences say you're not even playing with other users like it's just you in a closed system and you do violence in that game Does that matter? What a question. I mean, philosophers have gone back and forth on that forever. Philosophers talk about video games forever? (laughs) Well, they, they, no, they do talk about like the simulation hypothesis and how do you know anyone around you is actually real? Right, right. yeah. And to be honest, you don't. You take it on faith, Hmm. essentially, Hmm. because this could all be plugged into the matrix right now. That's one of the hotly debated philosophical themes. Aristotle has a perspective on this that I find really helpful. His whole system was called virtue ethics. And so what you do matters because it's shaping you into the kind of person that's either virtuous or uh, filled with evil and vices. And so I think there's a compelling case to be made there that like what you were saying that, yeah, it reflects who you are in some ways. But I would add again, and this is why we just can't escape a Christian worldview for us. It's not even like we're trying to ram God into these questions per se, although Christians do that sometimes. I just think if you let the question breathe at the root of it, there will be God, because I think we live in a world where there is God. And honestly, Carlin, uh, not to be dramatic, but I have thought of this. Like, I do think God is with me when I'm playing video games. And the virtue ethics thing of Aristotle, like non-playable characters, I don't think are, are real in the real world, but I do think God is with me even while I'm shooting them in Grand Theft Auto or whatever, you know, which is one of the reasons I kind of have some issues with that game. Like, like I actually think what I do matters because even if it's just Casey in this whole world and at the end God reveals it was a simulation, buddy. It's just you and me. I think what I do matters like just as much. Yeah. Interesting. And not just because of the effect, although it does have an effect on people around you and yourself. But yeah, that reminds me back to that Sermon on the Mount verse that we were talking about. What the things that you fixate on, the things that you glorify, honestly, the things that you love. And if you love in a game to go and do these horrible things, like that, that does reveal that there's sin and corruption in your heart. And, and you can either choose to sear that part of your conscience off, or you can choose to say, no, even when nobody's looking, I'm going to cherish what's good and what's right and what's holy. Totally. And I, I think there's there's like room there in some ways because like things are fictional for a reason. Right. It's not quite a yeah. one for a one. Therefore, be virtuous like guy. I think. <laughs> right. In every video game, every ethical situation is just no, as real no. as if you were on the street doing the same thing. That's part of the freedom we have. And I think it's one of the ways we were actually made is to tell stories and experience other viewpoints. Yeah. Like you could play as a villain or you could we watch movies about villains who are the protagonists routinely. And I don't think there's anything intrinsically wrong with that. I actually think it depends on how you do it because there are other ethical systems at play. 
but like I don't want to be too heavy handed about video games as such. It's more just like food for thought because I think it's a real question. Yeah. And as you've said in other conversations, usually it's the spirit of the thing that is important. Like that's not the only thing, but really the spirit in which you play Grand Theft Auto probably does make a difference to how it affects you and and the people around you. Mm -hmm. Right. And well, and I would say that that's what Jesus is getting at with the Sermon on the Mount. He turns ethics on its head because essentially he's the living embodiment of what it says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, which is God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Mm, mm-hmm. So in every situation, God is measuring your heart. Only in a world with a personal God does that mm-hmm. system of ethics make much sense and actually is compelling. But I'll also add, Carlin, just to go back to that theme we brought out earlier, that it is sometimes both. Like, it's what we choose to do with a system, but also it does matter what the system was designed for. And so just like with certain movies that we will not review on this podcast, like because those movies are designed to do things that I just, I think we find objectionable, uh, morally speaking, I do think certain video games are actually designed to feed that depravity within us. And it's all on a spectrum. So that's where Christians are called to discernment. Like there's no Bible verse that says don't play Grand Theft Auto. But personally, as I think about it, I'm like, the functionality of Grand Theft Auto is to practice doing crime in a world with impunity. And that just doesn't sound like a good soul building (laughs) video game. Again, not to be too heavy handed, but picture a different game, Age of Empires, right? There's plenty of death or whatever, but it serves like a a better purpose, I want to say, than that. Uh Uh-huh. And, and beyond, there's a, it's a scale, it's a gray scale, and it's a, there's probably examples that people could pick on the very far dark side of the scale. And at the end of the day, it comes down to you, what is your conscience telling you? If, if you are sitting down to play a game and a little voice inside you whispers, there's nothing really, there's nothing fruitful in this, like maybe listen to it. I mean, I, I would add a caveat to that and just say, I think you're right, Carlin, because we're all made in the image of God, we have an innate sense of right and wrong. But scripture is pretty clear, too, that that's broken in each of us. And so the important thing is that it's, it is your conscience, because that's your God-given compass, but it's your conscience in relation to actual truths about the way the universe is that are bigger than you and not decided yeah. by you. So while you're steering your ship, you don't decide what north and south are uh, necessarily. And that is really, really important to remember in a system of ethics these days that everyone wants to say that it's just our conscience with no relation to things that are good and evil. But I want to say that that actually helps us make sense of ethics. Like, it's hard to bring good out of certain video games. And likewise, it's actually pretty hard to bring evil out of, say, like a Tamagotchi or something, something really wholesome, which is why it's appropriate for us to be disgusted and enraged when people find a way to bring evil out of things that are so wholesome or innocent. And that validates the strongest moral intuitions we have to say that there actually is right and wrong in the world, and certain systems are set up with a bent or a tendency towards each. It's all a mixed bag, but it's not all relative. Because if you have a sin nature in you, if you go around just gratifying what feels good, what you like, and paying no attention to uh, an outside standard or... Because I would differentiate conscience from what feels good. And if you just go around chasing good feelings, like what makes you happy, 
you might start to notice a disturbing trend. Right. You might not notice it, actually. Hmm. But sin nature means that we're sliding ever towards the ugly, depraved side of our flesh. But if you're made in the image of God, you have that conscience in you. And if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you, reminding you what's good and reminding you what's true. Totally. Yeah, so free guy. And and last thing, free guy. Last thing on the comfort zone. Mm. Sometimes doing the right thing is really outside of our comfort zone, which is how I think the film resolves that question. Yeah. It answers them in order. Like, what are we made for? What is right and wrong? Therefore, based on who we are and what we're made for, there's like a personal sense in which, yeah, like really living into the fullest life you can means breaking outside of your comfort zone when it's the right thing to do. Right. And perfectly illustrated by Buddy Cop who runs out on the bridge and he's like full on like I'm there to help you guy like you're my buddy I used to be afraid but now I'm not anymore and he like Ah, he does the thing so wholesome so wholesome I almost almost cried about an NPC Ah. but (laughs) his name is buddy for crying out loud that's true hi buddy